Blog Talk Radio. and you are on At The Edge, an Apple Futurist Salon. At The Edge presents part two of my discussion with Scotty Lau, also known as Apple Iraqi. Actually, it's Scotty Lau. Am yes. I correct? Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we're going to be discussing um, her, her new erotic video, um, yes. new collection of erotic short stories, uh, some of them dealing with um, interracial relationships. You and I, we, 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 we tangle with this, so this is going to be an interesting yeah. conversation. <laughs> uh, as well as continuing our discussion on black women, the erotic, spiritual communication, self-empowerment. Um, we'll probably even talk about, and we can't go without talking about kink and talking about BDSM. Can't do it. Just can't do it, right? Not possible. So, not possible. We've got to talk about it. Um, <laughs> there's so much in our so-called vanilla culture that just reeks with the 
you know, just just even the hints of, of BDSM. So we're going to talk about that too. So, Scotty, you are an erotic provocateur, a humanist, relentless champion for the oppressed, Yay! a critical for social change, <laughs> uh, brainchild, creative genius, blood, sweat, and tears behind Alpoy Rocky. Um, intended to be part academic, part educational, part sensual. You gave birth to this website um, and to the company itself to provide people of African descent a place to escape the narrow-minded. Ooh, that was a misspelling accident in there. Stereotypical, that's all right. And I don't think anybody noticed Valley did because I, <laughs> I mentioned it. Uh, okay. It's off time degrading beliefs sounds about our sexuality. While being the first to admit that there are issues surrounding collective black sexuality, you are always putting everything on the table to discuss, debate, and dismantle stereotypes and a healthy exchange of ideas. So this really is about being more holistic, being more informed, yeah. being more enlightened when it comes to talking about black sexuality um, so that we can have some alternatives to the hot mess that's currently out there, um, the hot mess. And by hot mess, I refer the stereotypes, the Tyler Perry bullshit that's out there that has nothing to do with reality. To the and, and with our lovely Zoe Saldana playing uh, oh. the queen of soul, I, I can't believe. There's lots of things we can talk about. Oh, my God. You know, and, you know, yes. Please, we we have to, you know we got to break it down tonight. We're gonna, we're gonna try to break it down tonight. So we're tired of media and we're taught, tired of the hegemony trying to force feed us this this crap, this ideology of you know hating on on us, hating on black folk, and expecting us to hate ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and most of all, trying to get us to understand something about real intimacy. Um, that it's not about who's got the biggest dick. It's not about who's got the biggest booty. It really is about who's got the biggest heart. That's the way right. I see it anyway. Whose heart so, is open. That's right. That's right. right. You're on Twitter. You're on Twitter. Um, so if anybody's interested in leaving some comments um, with you with Afro Ratik or with me, Sherry Ann Turpin. Um, you can reach Afro Rati. You can reach Scotty through Afro um, Twitter dot com slash Afro Erotic A S R O E R O I T I K T I K screw that up. Yeah. No it's A S R O E R O T-I-K. It's erotic spelled with a K. That's right. That's, that's right. So it's, and and so more importantly, you can find me on afroerotic.com. That's right. I was just about to say that. Just about to say that. And you're also on, um, you're also on, on, on Facebook. You, you know, scotty.low, that's L-O-W-E, dot afro. So, you attach Afro to your to your full name, which is I think is very cool. Yeah. So, um, very there's so many different ways of finding finding where where you're at. Um, if you all want to uh, leave me information, 
I'm also on Facebook. I have a Facebook author page, Dr. Sherry Ann Turpin, C-H-E-R-I-E-A-N-N-T-U-R-P-I-N, and just attach a D-R at the beginning of my name, Facebook.com slash Dr. Sherry Ann Turpin. You can also find me on Twitter, Dr. Turpin, D-R-T-U-R-P-I-N, and you can find me on my blog, Afrofuturism Scholar. Don't forget to follow. And please don't forget to check out AfroErotic.com. Join up with her organization. There's lots of material that's available. She's going to share with us tonight um, some really provocative stuff, but there are opportunities to find out even more about what Afroerotic has to offer the world. Good evening. How are you, sister? I am wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Turpin, for having me back. It is always a pleasure. <clears throat> always a pleasure to, to, to have you on board. I, you know, I, I knew that when I launched this radio program and, and I had you as my first guest, first and foremost, I was like, okay, this can't be the only time that we have this conversation. Number two, um, exactly. starting off with that, the energy that you know that we had, I knew that this was going to um, be a, a very good thing, a very good thing. And so, first and foremost, I have to thank you for um, honoring me. <laughs> it's such an honor, it really is. Um, and 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 by coming on my show not once but twice and bringing your positive energy into this space. So thank you. Well, thank you. You were also a guest on my first show as well on Blog Talk Radio. And so I have to say it is my honor um, to be back for the second show. But more importantly, it's my honor to be your friend and to know that you are so diligent about advancing the dialogue about uh, the African-American community in all of its facets. And you are fearless in that. And I applaud you, but most importantly, love you for that. Thank you. Thank you. And sometimes it hurts like hell. It really does. Sometimes it does hurt. But it has to be done. It really has to be done. It's a painful process, but it's a process that must happen. Um, And so I think the last time... We ended. We really, we we were beginning to really talk about some of these, some of these issues, some of these very painful issues. Um, but I want to start off before we get into any of that. I want to start off with what you're doing now, your current project. I got a chance to see uh, a bit of what you you have to offer. Could you talk a little bit about your erotic um, videos? I'm really happy, by the way, to see a Thank lot you. of co- so black people who are not ghetto-licious, ghetto-fied, um, insulting, degrading. This is something, this is this is basically something for couples. It's for adults. This is not for children. It's for adults. It's, um, and it, it has a, you know, it's, it's got its element of romance, but there are some explicit um, sexual themes. Could you, could you talk a bit about this? I wanted to create something that was for people of African descent to see themselves in a beautiful, healthy, erotic light. And it was my wild fantasy that I was going to do this in the form of video. 
Mm-hmm. And yep. I became a director and a producer almost immediately without even having any knowledge of, of what those particular titles are or how to even go about accomplishing it. Um, but stars aligned, and I was able to make what I feel is truly the most um, innovative approach to black erotica I've ever had the opportunity to see. Sensu Soul is my video, and it will be available hopefully within seven days. Wow. Um, yes. Uh, I'm waiting for the website developer to finish his portion so that I can make it available for sale. And uh, he says it should take me less than a week. So I'm going to give him a week. Congratulations but, uh, on that. Thank thank you. I, I wanted to say it is, um, for me, symbolic of, of so much more than just erotica. There is a dialogue between a man and a woman that has no slang and ebonics and is not talking about anything materialistic or superficial. It's not filled with drama. It's talking about how to lift the consciousness of people of African descent in a erotic video. And we nice. also go on to explore, and I really want this to be uh, not only a how-to for men to see um, intimacy, true intimacy with partner, but I also want it to be the foundation of conversation in relationships. They can be marriages or long-term dating or people who are just getting to know one another. But I really want Century Soul to be quintessentially a, a discussion point, a place to start a discussion about your roles in the relationship and what you bring to it and how to experience more passion, more love, more intimacy, more sensuality in your relationship. What I like about it is that there, you know, that there's there's attention that's being paid to um, I guess mutual exchange is you don't you know you you're not watching um <laughs> you're not you, you you're not watching something in which, you know, uh, you see these people's bodies. You see women there. objectified. Women are performing right. for men. They are receptacles for men's sexuality. Right. You don't, you don't really see that. I mean, these are, you know, you yes, you do see naked bodies, yes. But you see, you've seen more than that. You've seen that these are people who read, <laughs> um, you know, you discuss complex importance. Yeah, yeah. It, that, that's a, that, that's actually very very important. I, I've had you know I've had I've had men ask me because um, I'm uh, you know I I have a little profile on on that life, and for those of you who are not part of you know part of the the key continuum, that life is one of those little websites. It's sort of like the Facebook of of BDSM. You don't really go there because you're looking for a partner, although some people make that mistake men um, but you run into all kinds of all kinds of people, and again and again, I run into um guys they see my face, I have my face up on my profile because i'm I have nothing to hide um and don't compartmentalize your sexuality Bravo. i don't i don't i'm an academic, I'm an academic I'm an, you know, I, 
I'm a human being who happens to be an academic, but I also, you know, you know, fully acknowledge my 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 sexuality, and I refer to myself as a quote unquote kinkster. I decided I no longer wanted to to take on any one particular role because I'm still exploring, and right now I'm not exploring with anybody. But it's interesting. I actually make it very clear. I'm interested in conversation. I'm a black. Feminist was so I didn't understand. I didn't understand what you said. You're interested in what? Conversation. Conversation. Talking as an exchange of information beyond how big is your dick? You know, do you shave your pussy? Uh, Do you (laughs) suck dick? You know, that kind of thing. And inevitably, you know, I, it, it's interesting. I've met some very interesting people, and I have a very small circle of, of friends. I mean, I don't have like 200, 200 quote-unquote friends. These are people who, you know, I can connect with, have conversation with, people from all walks of life, gay, lesbian, straight, male, female. I think I even have someone on there who's transgender. But the point is, is that it's not, this is not, you know, I'm not interested in connect, trying to connect with somebody who does not see me, who cannot connect with me intellectually. The only thing that they're interested in is, do you suck dick? Do you take it in the ass? Do you like getting tied up? That kind of thing. That just it, It's just cut and dry, dehumanizing, doesn't acknowledge the fact that I am not a commodity. My sexuality is not a commodity. And I refuse to allow myself to become a commodity. And what I like about this particular video that I saw is that I didn't see a woman that was being commodified. Another thing that I enjoyed was the fact that you chose a model who was not a model or an actress who was not anorexic, who clearly did not, or at least to me, didn't seem as though she had you know, all of the augmentation surgeries that we associate with with, um, actresses who do um, erotica. This was a real sister, a real real woman with a real body. And, you know, and and the man who was in the video, very attractive. Um, But, you know, you didn't see this overemphasis on what, you know, what did his penis look like. You didn't see this kind of mandingo stereotype coming at you from the screen. And I I have to admit that a lot of times when I see some of the stuff I've run across, I think we've all run across pornography featuring black men. And it's like you have to, you almost have to turn away because you just feel like, wow, you just, you're not dealing with somebody whose humanity is being honored. And I'm not getting the sense that some of these men are realizing how much they have been dehumanized for everyone to see, for the world to see. And, and how so, much that how much that image on others has an impact on the African American community overall. Right. 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 You know, those sorts of those sorts of images that are being depicted and portrayed in the adult videos are not just exclusive to us and the mass consumers of those videos and who want that sort of material don't look anything like us. 
and they go out in the world and navigate the world based on these African Mandingo big dick, you know, dick slayers who are savage lusts beasts for white flesh primarily. And we have to remember those are the people who we're interacting with on a daily basis. Those are the people who are, you know, approving our loans and our bosses at work and all sorts of things. So it doesn't happen that those particular images of black men and black women in adult videos are have a much bigger scope than um, those actresses might think for the little compensation they get, $1,000 or $700 a day. Right. It's my understanding that um, black actors and actresses who work in the adult film industry um, are not well compensated, um, are not treated very well, and in particular black women are not treated very well. Um, and it it says to me, you know, it says to me that, that you know, one of two things we need to have, either we need to get out of the business or we need to start doing our own stuff, which is right. why I'm glad that you're doing what you're doing. Um, Thank you. You've begun to see, right, yeah, you've begun to see white women, um, you know, produce, uh, produce, produce films or, you know, some people like to call it soft porn. Some of it, some folks, it's just like, well, it's woman-centered, but which, which women? <laughs> Yeah, right. So, exactly. That that becomes the ultimate question. If I don't see myself represented up there, it's ultimately we have to ask which women. And you know, for somebody like me, like you and I have had this conversation. You've often wondered how how it is that I, you know, go go about it. You, as you know, I do date interracially, um, and it, it's interesting when you look at. Pornography, whether you're looking at pornography or whether you're looking at non-pornographic um, interactions, so-called romantic interactions between white men and black women, it just sort of begs the question, does anybody ever pay attention to um, real relationships, reality? Does anybody ever pay attention to that? If You know, to... Folks that are just sort of surfing the net, you know, the impression that's, that's given is that, you know, that um, that that white guys who are into black women are, are are scummy, and that black women who who interact with white men are are scummy, and believe it or not, unfortunately, um, both men and women are impacted, are affected by what's out there. Maybe there's some folks who would like to think that, oh well, no, people don't really. Don't don't really um, judge folks based on what they what they see in porn. Um, I would kind of beg to differ. It's had an impact on in in non adult industry settings in terms of the ways that um, that, that men and women tend to tend to, uh, to interact with each other in terms of expectations. And, and I want to also add my disagreement to that sentiment that um, what we experience when we are in a aroused state uh, at the level at which our brain waves are vibrating, that is when an individual is most susceptible to imprinting on their subconscious mind a belief that comes from external sources. So if while yeah. a person is in their most aroused state, it's how one becomes uh, it has fetishes and all sorts of other things like that, and their behavior can be controlled is because you associate something with 
your most aroused state. And if you're hearing, you know, nigger this, nigger that, big black cock, and so on and so forth, while you're in that state, that's what you're going to carry with you. That's the impression that you're going to have. And it doesn't right. even have to be in your conscious mind. Right. It doesn't. It doesn't. But, you know, and, and of course, then comes the question, you know, um, you know, how much does the outside world impede on your on your on your erotic life? And and I would say that there's there, there is there's there's great impact. There's a heavy impact. Um, you know, it, it's interesting when you when you interact when when at least when I've interacted with 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 people within um, within the the, the community, um, I tend to get pretty much the, the, the same response. You you know because nine times out of ten when I've when I've interacted with, with, with men within this context, I've tended to interact as a submissive with some ventures into either switching to, to, to dominance. But it seems to me that um there's a there's an impression that if you do um you know, try your hand at being "quote unquote" submissive, so to speak. You surrender. You know, you're surrendering even for that moment. Um, just even in conversation, and the impression that um, that I'm getting from some of these these guys, from a lot of these guys, is that wow, you 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 don't seem to be very submissive. You you know, you have limits. You you have rules. You um, you don't allow yourself to be degraded. How can you call yourself a, a, a submissive? How can you call yourself a kinkster? You're not allowing me to sort of impede upon your, your, you know, your your well-being, your sense of self. And I'm like, well, what did you think this was really about? Is it really? Are you really? Are you really a kinkster? Are you really somebody who's just interested in using this? platform as a way of exploiting and I am I'm finding it very difficult actually um, to connect because I I'm not interested in being um, being degraded I'm not interested in being exploited I'm not interested in um, but you do understand that that is the common uh, that's what's be expected now, um, yeah, I know. Not not I know. just women of color, but women uh, in general. I had a gallery showing opening last night, and it was an erotic art show. I uh, debuted my video, Century Soul, and everyone else was a photographer or an artist. And every image, every single solitary image, was of a woman in either being objectified and or degraded in some sort of oppressive way. Um, Century Soul was the only single solitary showing that had people of color, um, and certainly mine was the most romantic and sensual and seductive of the whole evening. But it goes to the whole concept that the woman's body is to be used. Uh, I, I spoke earlier on um, about rape on my uh, Facebook page and, and commented about that rape doesn't necessarily, abortion doesn't have to be for women who are victims of 
um, incest or rape, that uh, every woman has a right to control her body. And when we live in a society where women's bodies are commodities and casual and used as objects uh, for men's pleasure, then we have right. a distortion in the flow of, of of the normal way to be. We don't have anything that's teaching men, specifically men of color, to to crave intimacy, to crave the cuddling. All we're teaching them is um, stab it and hit it and kill it and pound it hard, and, and that's what it means right. to be a man. And we're never, ever telling them that, that tender and slow and gentle is the way to go. That That's how you pair bond. That's how you create a strong relationship. That's how you praise right. your woman. And, and right. we're not even and, having those conversations. Right. Well, and, and, and here's the thing. Just even with this, the idea of having, you know, having, having the, you know, having the, in, in, you know, having that intensity. I mean, I'm a person who actually... Uh, who likes to kind of switch back and forth between gentle and quote-unquote rough, you know, so to speak. But rough to me does not mean being destroyed, so to speak. Right. I'm interested in, in connecting with that part of our, that part of our humanity that, that is primal. I'm interested in that. And I connect, I connect with that. That's part of my, you know, that's probably part of my Shango persona. That's part of what you know where I'm at. I'm interested in lightning, you know, that kind of thing. I have that that peace within within me that I like to express, which is probably one of the reasons why I I do in, in, in enjoy BDSM on occasion. But that does not mean you destroy my spirit or destroy my body, and it doesn't mean that I destroy yours. And I don't think that men in our community, and I'm not even talking about BDSM, I'm talking about just regular, straight-up, quote-unquote, vanilla, straight-up relationships. I don't think that a lot of our, our men are understanding that. And I don't know, I've, I've, you know, some of the conversations that I've had in my, just even within my, 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 my classes, is I make, make sure that I, that I um, have my students actually talk about sexuality within novels. It's one of the reasons why I have an interest in, um, in, in, in having these kinds of conversations that I'm afraid that some of my colleagues are reluctant to deal with, and I think that's a mistake, that when they're confronted with characters, fictional female characters to embrace their sexuality and who are not afraid to um, embrace who they are, embrace their bodies, I find that some of my male and female students are, um, they're, they're, they're a bit shocked at that. And I had this young, one, one young man, um, it, you know, basically say something to the effect that um, if you are a woman who is open about, you know, enjoying sex or enjoying her sexuality, well, you know, she's a freak. She's a hoe. 
Um, she's a whore. She's a slut. There's very much a double standard, and very, very much, very much an expectation that um, a woman who is chaste and pure, or who presents herself as conservative in public, and who lets that guard down um, behind closed doors, is somehow a slut or a whore, or um, you know, somehow her sexuality is more valid than a woman who can simply say, uh, you know, I have desires and I want to express them, and I'm not ashamed of being a sexual woman, uh, and I don't have a need to compartmentalize my uh, sexuality from the rest of my life. Right, right. And, you know, and I I think that, um, I think that from my own experiences, like the the fellow who I have have been dating, our relationship was at its strongest when we were both able to acknowledge and connect with each other and not um, not shame each other about our desires, about our fantasies, about how, you know, how we felt about each other, how we looked at each other, other's bodies and, and whatnot. But I think the lowest point, or the lowest point, at least for me on my end, was confronting what I saw as his inability to deal with a woman who refused to allow him to just sort of act upon my body. Um, That for me to actually act for sex or to ask for intimacy, to ask to connect, it angered him. Um, And our relationship basically came to an end with that. Um, and not in a very nice way, actually. Um, his inability to be able to uh, perform, he, he blamed on me. Um, and without him actually having to even even say it, but to actually just sort of perform it, his performance was about him believing that a woman that he would be proud of would be a woman who would just sort of lie there and allow him to basically act upon my body. I'm not supposed to respond. I'm not supposed to want it. To me, that says something about our, you know, about Western culture, about this idea of rape culture. And that's really what that's about, that a woman is not allowed to actually want it. You're not allowed to say yes. You're supposed to. You're, you're not allowed to, to say it. yes and not feel shame and regret and, you know, feel dehumanized. You're supposed to say yes, but that's supposed to add to the kinkiness of it because you you know in your heart you're supposed to say no, as opposed to the empowered woman who can simply say yes, I want this, I enjoy this, please. Right. Right. And we're not, and, and by this, by me saying this, I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not talking about mind fuck. I'm not talking about rape fantasy. I'm not talking about any of those other, you know, di, uh, di, dynamics because that has its own, its own dynamic and its own politics that's related. But even within that, the idea of reluctant consent, reluctant consent, not because you're playing mind fuck, but reluctant consent because you're supposed to be playing a role of basically not having any particular power at all. And you're not supposed to um, 
you're not supposed to you're not supposed to to to, to want to um you're not supposed to ask for anything. I guess you're supposed to just take what whatever's thrown at you. And that I you know seeing that that you know, that the younger generations that these young men and young women who were coming up and you know and it's you know making me realize that age 46 my students are young enough to be my children and seeing that all of the battles that we have fought to bring women in you know into this sense of self empowerment and we've got to fight these same battles over and over again um I find we're fighting be, reproductive. We're fighting for our reproductive rights, which our mothers fought for yes, forty years yes, ago. And yes. I can't believe we're fighting the same thing. But we also have to fight for images of black women in videos, in movies, in the media that accurately represent us and do so yes. in a healthy light. It's great that we have a black female character on Scandal and she's the first lead in 30-something years, but she's also an adulteress. Uh, Is there, you know, can we have an image of something other than that? When will we be other than the whore or the mammy? Right, 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 right. So, yeah, so I find it interesting that, you know, um, that in this day and age, you know, that we're in the 21st century, um, but when it comes to black women and when it comes to, to Hollywood, that the only way that you, you get noticed is, you know, you got to play maid, you got to play, you know, a woman who is just completely distressed and completely, um, you know, kind of, Pounded under. You, you, what kinds of examples do we see out there for young black women who would like to um, really shine um, as, as as actresses? What examples? And it seems to me that the old stereotypes they still remain, still remain. And um, doesn't seem to me that those who uh, who have um, influence. It doesn't seem to me that they're, that they're listening. What's more, even more distressing is some of the most um, disturbing, some of the most outrageous images um, and impressions that are coming from our own people, whether it be Tyler Perry, whether it be, um, you know, whoever made this crazy decision that um, Zoe Zodana would, would, would be a a wonderful person to play um, Nina Simone, which is just absolutely outrageous. Um, you know, whether it be the help, and I know that there are a lot of folks who would like to probably would like to kick my ass for actually talking about uh, to talking about that movie, but I'll talk about it. It is a problem. It is an issue, and it's not okay that in two thousand in, in two thousand what was it two thousand ten two thousand eleven we're still playing maids. And you need to have a white woman speak for you. The implications of that, and knowing the history of how that novel came to be, that it was not uh, that this was this was someone who stole someone else's voice, and then it goes on screen and it's validated. To me, that's a problem. 
I just and and since the kids give you this goes. Um, the D L or D D H U E? Did they um, D L U Oh God, that, there's something wrong with him. Um, and, and, and sorry that she hadn't had a chance to go on go online today because I um, I tweeted it, Facebooked it. You know, he goes on NPR and talks about how much he doesn't like black women and how angry we are. Um, and <laughs> That is according of to him. That is, right. And, and, according you know, to, and according to the people. Right, right. And, you know, and I I actually saw him perform, um, do the performance that ended up in HBO. He, he was in D.C. and he's defending um, the nappy-headed hoe comment made by um, the, the radio. Don Imus. I can't remember. Yeah, Don Imus. I don't remember. Yeah, Don Imus. And he's defending him. And he's like, oh, well, I'm defending freedom of speech. Really? That's your excuse? The reality of it is is that here's a man who has black daughters, has a black wife, and he's talking about how much he just does not understand and doesn't doesn't like black women. And I would like to Is he married ask to a, him. a black woman? Yes he is. Ow. Yes he is. Yes he is. I'm like, what what is that household dynamic like? Oh right, yeah. I was just like, wow. I'm like, this guy's really got some issues. <laughs> you know, nobody's confronting him on this. You know, he and Steve Harvey, both of them. Steve Harvey with his, um, you know, he's gonna try to tell us how he thinks we should we should behave uh, and think and, and behave and talk and oh, right, right, right. And he can't he can't even. Uh, Treat the women in his life right. I, you know, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But we, we validate, um, we validate men with this, with this kind of, this kind of mentality. Um, you know, we validate the Chris Browns um, and then Rihanna. Oh. <laughs> it goes on and on and on and on. You know, and so yeah, it's. These are, it's a, it's a battle. When, when folks start talking about, you know, GLP's war on women, well, there's a war against women and girls within our own community, within our own collective. And when we talk about war on women and girls, we really are talking about war on black families who raises these children. Black men and but black it is women. also black, black women, women who black. are t- who are teaching black girls today that the their value is in the length of their hair and the length of their fingernails and the price tag on their shoes. So it, yes. it is black women perpetuating yes. these things that are handicapping our young girls because they are yes. not going to grow to women. They're they're still going to be childlike in their. Uh, expectations in quote unquote relationships. It's going to be about pussy in exchange for money. It's going to be about how much worth I bring or what a dime piece I am. And never are we teaching our girls about integrity, about uh, pursuing academics or pursuing their own businesses or um, how to build character as an individual. We're teaching them that a, a big butt will get a man. 
Right. Right. Exactly. 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 Oh, or either, or going to the other extreme. You know, you go to you go to two different extremes. Either you know, um, the super sexualized black female body, or the super desexualized black female body. Um, I to get get a good understanding of what you know what this is really all about. It's kind of you know one good way of kind of gauging what the what the mood what the tone is, and we're not even talking about just here in the states. Just I'm talking about the West, period. And I say the West because anytime you have a Spanish magazine putting on its cover a depiction of Michelle Obama as a slave with a rag around her head. Um, with her breasts exposed, it says to me that there, in so many different ways, we are still fighting those battles that we thought were were long, long gone, but they're not, right? Well, Look at the way. In the Netherlands, yeah, we have a film that was released that shows right. black women in the most degrading light. Um, we yeah. are, we're the three-dollar whores and the tramps and the home wreckers and ghetto bitches, and no one in the nation is objecting, black or white, but black people specifically. No one is objecting. Right, right. But how, I, do get, how do we get? How do we get there? I, I, I wrote about it. I wrote a wrote a post about it. I wrote a post in response to the review, and it, it, it received a scathing re- review. You know, not enough of us are, are are responding to to this. We're not, you know, not enough of us are responding uh, re- responding to it. The impression that I get is this. Now it's interesting. I you know. Uh, you know, I, t- I do tend to take, I do tend to, de- tend to date European men, um, but I'm here to tell you that just because you're from Europe does not mean that you are somehow immune to all the other crap, the, you know, all the other racist crap that, you know, folks in the States, you know, deal with. And in some ways, I actually think that folks in the States, we at least acknowledge the fact that there's some racism, you know. And I will say that, you know, that in some ways we've developed a language, we've developed an apparatus to confront it, and we have a history, we have a long history in this country of, of battling it, the rights movement, black uh, nationalist movement, pan-African movement, et cetera, et cetera, neo-soul, whatever. You know, we have some of the tools. The impression that I get when I look at stuff that's coming out of places like Netherlands, places like France, um, you know, the uh, you know places like Germany and, and some of these other spots. The impression that I get is that because some of these white folk or a lot of these white folks have not really dealt with their colonialist mindset, their racism or racism, um, and because their social political apparatus has not 
advance the way that ours has. Believe it or not, we're actually not we're not not in, in bad shape as, as some of these some of these other countries, and that's frightening, but it's true because you don't see the advances, the push to, I guess, get our, vo- you know, to, to have our voices. It's, it seems like it's almost a little easier for folks to, to be able to do the kinds of things that they do. And it's not that you don't have the collective and the political action in those countries, because you do have Afro-Dutch folk who are active, you have Afro-French people who are active, you have Afro-British folk who are extremely active and extremely vocal, and they've been able to make some advances. But when it comes to entertainment, when it comes to the art world, when it comes to um, mass media in those countries, um, in some ways they're, they're even further behind than we are, and we're not in good shape at all. And so, so then I have to ask you a very Afrofuturist question. How do you do you believe or think that it's possible for majority culture to shift their mindsets and take responsibility for their privilege and perceived sense of superiority and make efforts towards changing that until we as people of African descent can take responsibility or take ownership of a desire to move forward to stop staying silent when we must when we feel we're pressured to speak out, uh, to stand up for our rights, to grow emotionally, spiritually, physically, mentally, uh, sexually as well, sensually. Um, It not the onus on us now for us to raise our consciousness before anyone else can raise theirs about us. Absolutely. And, in fact, I was just going to say that you cannot, can't really ask people to, to act like, um, to, to act to, to act decent um, towards you, you have to take it and you have to demand it and you have to insist on it and you have to bring attention to it. You have to embarrass people, basically. Um, you basically have to do and, and that's and it is folks who don't know who don't really understand what exactly the civil rights movement was about. That's exactly what it was about. Um, and when I talk about civil rights, I don't not just talking about people just marching in the streets. When we look at the early days of the NAACP, one of the first things that they did, actually marching in the streets, was actually marching in response to Birth of the Nation in 1915 when that silly, outrageous movie that the um, American Film Institute still believes to be a classic, um, you know, when that came out, um, folks just could not... um, Folks decided that they were not going to just sit down and 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 and, and put up with that. Um, to the audience, I do apologize. That was my mother on the other line. I forgot to tell her that I'm on on the radio. I'm going to probably um, text her and ask her to come on the show. <laughs> Although I'm not, I'm not sure how she would react to this. But it's interesting. My mother, she's a minister and she's very conservative. But my mother is actually, she's actually pretty, she's actually, uh, very, actually very sophisticated. Um, and so um, 
so the, the 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 question that you're you know that you that you asked um it's it's a it's a very valid question um and it's not one that um it's not one that you can just sort of kind of say, well, you know, maybe they'll come to it, maybe they won't. You have to actually bring attention to it. You have to actually embarrass people about it. You know, when Rihanna was was uh, was called a nigger bitch right. uh, by the and, and, and um, let's not forget the female general mutilation cake. Right. Right. You know, we refer to you know you know you know in in just you know absolutely you know slandered like that. Um, people were up in arms. That woman lost a, the woman who who was guilty of it. She lost a job. And she didn't seem, and she still didn't seem to understand. She did a half-ass apology, but she didn't seem to understand what exactly she had done. You know, um, you know, using the using the quote unquote N word number one, which is one outrageous way of humanizing um, a, a, a human being, and then referring to a woman as a bitch, which is another form of dehumanization. I mean, she went the lowest that she could go with that. And also, that was a compliment. Like, what make what would make you think that you know, being called a bitch, being called a nigger, is a is a is a compliment? What what's complimentary about that? Well, at least it, she lost her job. Unlike the uh, woman at the Vibe, the white woman who allowed Too Short to right. train young black boys how to rape girls. And right. approved the video. She went unscathed. You know, there was outrage of, among feminists, but for the most right. part, the rest of the community said, "Oh, uh, well, what did you expect? It was too short." Oh, mm. and, and <laughs> let it go, and, and and essentially giving the green light for young boys to to essentially rape, assault, and molest young girls, and no one cares about little black girls. No one cares if they're molested or raped or right. uh, if right. their their innocence is taken away. Uh, we're not important, right? Yeah, and that's and I think that that's that's also it's, it's also very important to you know to you know to take take note of. And so and so you know just coming you know so coming back to that that you know that that whole you know question of you know. Well, you know, do Europeans do Europe, European people get it? Um, I think some do and some don't. I think that you have pretty much the same dynamic that you have here. Um, that you do have some white people here who get it and then some people who don't. The question is um, not if, if if there are some who get it. There are uh, clearly some who do. There are some that I love as friends and family, uh, people right. to whom I would trust my life and and give my life to them. Um, right. The question, the question really is: We are in a state of dysfunction uh, mentally. Yes. We are still very much mentally slaves on the plantation. Uh, how do we, as Afrofuturists, get take off those mental shackles? Well, for one, by um, 
by speaking up about it, by doing you know, by doing what we're doing, by by talking right. about it. I, I'm, uh, I'm creating images of and intimacy and, and seduction and romance that right. are not right. being seen. You're having the most amazing conversations about addressing all facets of our life where we need to really free ourselves. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's like. <coughs> To me, I think it's 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 like you get you know as an Afrofuturist, I I think that it is essential, you know that we do that we do more than talk that we do what you're doing, which is creating art, um, you know, creating art and doing what you and I do, writing about it, um, writing our own paths, our own experiences, um, putting it into. Uh, into the general conversation, into the putting it into the light, as opposed to hiding. You know, call, you know, you have some folks who call themselves hiding out because they don't want to, they don't want to become part of the, you know, they don't want to become part of the conversation. But this is also Afrofuturism. That it's not, you know, you know. And some people think that well, it's just about science fiction. No, it's not. Um, because if that were the case, you wouldn't have Sun Ra. Um, you would not have uh, DJ Spooky would not have um, so many different facets of, of of the ways in which we can we can think about well what does it mean to be an Afrofuturist? You certainly wouldn't have this notion of digital um, digital humanities being passed around and being being talked about, and you certainly would not have Alondra Nelson um, if this was just about science fiction. Um, it is really about writing us not into just the future but into the present. But in order for us to be part of the future, we have to take care of the present. And we have to deal with those Right, and we, have, and we have to take off those bandages and heal those wounds in the present. That's and right. we need a, a right. healthy model to help us get to the future. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. That's, and that's where it's at. It, it, that's really where it's at. That is where it's at. Hmm. So, yeah. So, talk to me about um, where your website is at this point. I think the last time we talked about your website, you were really just getting it off the ground. Where I was, I was. Um, right now, we are trying to get national exposure. It's great to have. A, group of loyal fans and followers and friends and and people really love what I have to do and I'm so very honored that I'm able to touch people in in some small way um but right now it's about getting national exposure I need media I need television and radio and magazines to know about afroerotic gospel and can uh, start having larger conversations about what it is to have the joy it is to be able to experience touching and caressing and massaging and intimacy and kisses and all, all things that are are desperate in our lives that we need desperately but are, are being foregone for watching TV and a quick romp and uh, an emotionless connection. So what's up next for the website is hopefully I will be able to look more videos. I will also mm-hmm. be able to uh, be 
music. I'm working on a project now that's erotic spoken word. Um, It's similar to what I've done before, but I think this is going to be something magical because it is really going to be something that you can listen to with your partner, but it's also going to be a sensual meditation almost. It's going to be a place where you can go and relax and and get into a, a groove but also uh, address what you need in your life and and how to heal your own sense of sexuality and sensuality. (laughs) I know know on my show, my blog talk radio show, uh, just last week, you called in and you were sounding so down and so depressed, and I wanted to just wrap my arms around you. Oh, um, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. I, oh, I love you, Queen. I love you so much. I can't tell you how much. Um, but I, I I know that, um, you know, sensuality is, is greatly missing in your life. And, uh, it is. I pray, it I, is. And I pray for you to find that, that validation so that you can have not only conversation, but that you can have orgasms and, and that you can revel in the feeling of just, your head on someone's chest and having their leg overwrap yours and you deserve all of that and so much more that there's a comfort level in that and I want so much for you to experience that and have that and and just be able to breathe and not have to say anything or do anything or be anyone specifically and just revel in that sensation of love. And I do miss that. I do. Um, I think that <laughs> it's interesting. Um, you know, I've had people say, um, you know, no less than the person who I got to be talking about, you know, oh, when you turn 40, you know, it will, you know, you're going to have a lot of fun. Um, it seems to me almost as if, you know, I turned 40 and it was like a light kind of went off, you know, um, in in terms of my my sexual life. Um, My relationship with, um, well, we won't won't name him because I want to get sued, Um, (laughs) ended ended in um, in 2007. Um, And it ended in the latter part of 2007, like, like, a little bit before my, my, my 41st birthday. But our relationship, you ask me, my, our relationship probably should have, I should have let it, when it ended right before my 40th birthday, I should have let it stay at, at an end. And I made a mistake by going back into it when I should have just let it die. And it probably should have. And so, you know, it's interesting um, it's been over five years since I've been in a relationship. And I've had people ask me, you know, you know why don't you, you know, uh, why don't you go, you know, go to the Caribbean and go go find a, find some, I, you know. I, go get your groove you back. Well, you know what, that, that, makes me want, that makes me want to smack somebody when, they, when, they, when people say shit like that. And the, some of the worst advice that I've gotten, I've gotten from men, um, well-meaning men, sure, but men who don't... Men, yeah. who, think that sex, <laughs> who, men who think that sex is the cure-all 
And in many ways, sex can be a tremendous medicine, but it has to come with some sort of connection, and that's what they fail usually to to understand. Right, and and here's the thing. Here's my mentality at this point. My issue with my ex was not the fact that, you know, that he was not um, monogamous. Our relationship was a very complex situation. Um, because he was actually in more than one long-term relationship. Our relationship went started in 03 and ended in 07. So it's pretty long-term, and we had some periods in which we, we actually lived with each other. My issue, because I, I have a, I'm a monogamous person, and I prefer to be monogamous. I'm just not a person who is addicted to jealousy. I am actually a person who's very open to, quote-unquote, being in a, in a situation with somebody who is not monogamous, but who is not promiscuous, i.e. polyamorous. So I prefer that a person that I'm with be, be monogamous, but I'm actually open to, you know, being in a, in a situation with a person who, um, who may not necessarily um, be monogamous, but you have to be open about it and you have to, you have to it's very difficult to do something like that because you got to worry about SpaceX not getting any, you know, heebie-jeebies. A, B, not pissing off the other partner. C, not stretching yourself out emotionally and just physically dealing with that. So it ain't easy. But I'm going to tell you something. There are a lot of cats out there who claim to be monogamous and say, oh, no, I'm monogamous. They're not. What they prefer is to say to you, you're supposed to just be with me because you're my property and I'm going to do what I want to do, but you're not supposed to know about it. And if you know about it and if you don't have an issue with it, then there's something fucked up with you, something wrong with you, because that means that you're not obsessed with where my dick is. I don't believe in playing that kind of head game. I believe in people just being upfront and honest about where their heads are at. And I think that it would be so much healthier if people were, were honest about um, about relationships, what they really wanted. And for me, my issue with my, my ex had less to do with whether he and I were getting on in terms of what we did in bed because he was absolutely stunning in bed. He was great. My Ooh. issue with him was emotional intimacy. And I know you and I have talked about this because you've asked me, how do you know, can, can white men really fuck? Yes. Can Irishmen really fuck? Sure. You've got, you've got Irish guys who I know are it, I, didn't, I know I didn't ask you that because my first boyfriend was Irish Catholic, Dennis Fanning. Loved him to pieces. Uh, I know I didn't ask you that. Hush up. <laughs> this was, this, maybe it wasn't you. It was somebody else's. Like, you know, my mother. I think my mother asked me one at one point. You know, because my mother. Well, no, my, my well, I love my I love my mom. She's like this hardcore. I don't believe in sex outside of marriage, but she's always asking me about you know relationships. I did a safe sex demo for her once because she didn't know what all of that was. My mother grew up during the days when she didn't do all of that. And I'm just like, so if you ever decided to be intimate again, this is what lube is. This is what condoms are. This is 
with gentle dance on. So my mother asked me, like, well, what's it like being with a with a white with a white guy and you're and you're and and, and, and you're African American? And she asked me this also because at that time I was a pretty big girl, and the guy who I was was noticeably smaller. She's like, well, aren't you ashamed? I was like, no. And it was like, let me put it this way. It was like when the lights are out, you know. You're not really concerned about that. Or if you have a white sword, you're not really concerned about that because you're in the moment. My issue with my, with, with my ex was not all of that. My issue with him was his inability to be able to connect emotionally. And that had everything to do with whatever happened to him in his, in, in, you know, with his, either his childhood or his young adulthood his inability to be able to be emotionally and spiritually intimate. And that for him, the only time that he seemed to connect with me was if there was this impression it was always happy, happy, happy. Could not deal with conflict. Could not, not in a very healthy way at all. Just completely shut down. Dissociate. And to me, that was a bit disturbing. Because that meant that if there was something that was going on with me, that I needed to kind of connect emotionally or spiritually, he wasn't there. And he really wasn't interested in that. He was very superficial on that account. And at the beginning of the relationship, that wasn't a problem. But towards the end, it was definitely a problem. It was definitely an issue. But it made it easier for him to do some things that were not very healthy emotionally um, for me or him. And so... At the end of the relationship, he says this to me, well, I don't mind us being friends, but the thought of you touching me makes me ill. Oh, my well, goodness. Can we still be Right. Hey, sends me this message on, on Yadlin's message. You know, he's like, well, you know, but we can be still still be friends, right? And I was like, uh, no. My friends touch and hug me, you know. And, you know, and, I, and, and I'm like, you know, I had another male friend of mine who had been my lover. He had married and moved on with his life, and we were still friends. We still hugged. We still kissed, not on the lips, but we still kissed. I didn't have any of that craziness. This guy, he's had some serious issues. And so the way that he went about doing the breakup, coming over, I cook him food, he eats my food, we watch a movie, then he decides he wants to he wants to dash after spending an entire summer in which I'm like, Where's your head at? Where is this relationship going? And that's when he decided to do what he did. And then later on wanting there were some other things that he did that were just very unhealthy. And I ultimately decided that it was time for me um to kind of I don't want to even deal with him, and so I, I don't even talk to him any, anymore. And that's because I, I I just I don't like people in my life who are unhealthy like that. It you know there's just there's just nothing healthy about that. And I think that there are a lot of women out there, I don't, in, in, not just black women, a lot of women, period, who first of all who don't know how to walk away. 2006, I needed to walk away from that. 2006 was a very strange year for me, actually. Um, that was when I um, 
you know, finally walked and got my, you know, and, you know, I'd already gotten my PhD, but I decided to go through the ceremony. Um, that particular spring was emotionally an emotional roller coaster up and down, but in many ways I was kind of blind to what was going on. But when all of this kind of broke through and, and he did what he did and all of this other stuff, that was the time in which I needed to leave. And I think that there are a lot of women, I think there are a lot of black women who don't know when to say goodbye. Oh, I, we, I am to be included among those women that population. I hold on. And, and there are times when I rationalize and I justify it and I say, oh, but we connect. Oh, he's so intellectual. Oh, and I find a million reasons to hold on to a relationship because I thrive when I'm in a relationship. I'm happier. I'm healthier when I'm in a relationship. Uh, I enjoy what it is to share and nurture and take care of individuals and, and, and create memories that you know we can look back on so i know that i am guilty of it and as as much as i want to be um you know the pillar of afro sensuality and eroticism and who can help people build stronger and healthier relationships i know that i stumble in, in my own choices and my own identity mm-hmm. as a black woman and how it came to be in in, in a racist society so uh I, i'm I'm among those uh, women that can be counted as holding on to relationships when they shouldn't. Um, yeah. Because yeah. I am the ever, I think that, uh, I'm the optimist in that I'm right. always hoping that our love can transcend whatever issues. And uh, I'm not discounting that because I do think that right. love can solve a multitude of sins, so to speak. But I don't think that many people have a commitment to not only their relationship and their partner, but to the concept of love. Exactly. Well, here's the thing. I think a lot of people may not have ever, may not have may not have ever really seen it. I mean, I I have a very close relationship with both my parents, and one of the things that you know, one of the ways that I've been working on healing myself. And I am actually in treatment, so to speak, and, and I am actually in, in therapy with somebody who is, she's a feminist, you know, pro, pro-sex pro feminist, pro, you know, pagan, you know, kink-aware professional, um, you know, somebody who is professionally trained um, to, to actually help me to, to do all of this. And being in therapy to me is actually a very good sign because that, that basically says, you know, I'm at that. I'm at a particular point in time in which I'm able to articulate my needs and be able to work out in a professional environment and work as a team with, you know, with my with my therapist on being healthy and making healthy choices. But one of the best things that I did when I hit my 30s was to begin having conversations with my parents about what exactly happened in their relationship. What you know, not just which each other, but in their other relationships. Because I needed to figure out what the heck was going on with me in terms of my own choices or lack thereof. Right. Choices. I needed to figure that out. And one of the things that I discovered was that neither one of them really understood what exactly they were doing when they decided to to, to marry each other. 
And, I mean, this is the mid-60s, you know, um, you date, you think you're in love, you get married, and you have a couple of kids, you go off, you go live in a suburb someplace, and, you know, you're supposed to live happily ever after, and that's exactly what did not happen. They went off and moved to the suburbs and lived unhappily, you know, you know, for, for about 20 years. And my father admitted to me that he, did, he was not in love with my mother. He thought he was, but he really wasn't. And my mother pretty much said the same thing, that, you know, they thought they were in love, but they really weren't. I, I, I guess what we think to be is romantic love and whatnot, they really had not gone out there and experienced life, had not really understood their needs in terms of in terms of relationships. And as a result, they ended up in a very emotionally dysfunctional relationship that to the outside world seemed to be very healthy, you know, church-going, you know, um, hard-working, you know, couple, you know, with, with kids who were never in trouble or almost never in trouble. Um, but in reality, it was it was a very unhealthy in, in environment, and it had an impact on both me and my brother. And so for me, it was a very important that I actually figure out what happened so that I wouldn't make the same mistake. And I'm glad for it. I'm glad that I'm able to talk with my parents about that, and including talking about their attitudes about sexuality. My father, when I was growing up, my father couldn't even say the word raw. <laughs> now that my father is in his mid-70s, he and I talk about the fact that he has a collection of Viagra that he never uses because he's not in a relationship. But <laughs> he admits to me that he wants to be in a relationship. His doctor tells him, you're healthy. You need to have sex. You need to be in a relationship. Which I think is incredible that I can at least have a conversation with both my parents about sex and they're not blown up, they're not getting upset, they're not getting uptight. You know, my father tells me he's attracted to when I need some advice about men, I ask my father. I ask my mother, too, but I ask my father. Um, when I need some advice about me as a woman, how do I come across to men? You know, I went through this sort of transformation um, because I was concerned about the way that I was kind of coming off to men. Um, I was I was actually concerned that at, you know that I was coming across as being a bit too angry, ball busting, mean, <laughs> intimidating. Those are all the mm-hmm. things that it, you know I was you know, I was concerned about that. But I asked my father, and I, I told him to be honest with you. Tell me where you know what is going on. And my father said to me that the problem is is that there, there are a lot of men who don't really know how to be men because they don't really, they become intimidated by, by women who are strong because they are weak. And it's not because you're too strong, it's because you're weak. Which I thought was a very interesting way of putting that. That if mm-hmm. you have a woman who is assertive, confident about herself, well-educated, right, but he's intimidated by you, 
And this guy who I was dealing with, my ex, he was intimidated by me. You know, he's a man, he had a master's degree. He had gone to, um, I think it was University of, of Dublin, I think it was. He got his master's from there. Um, he, You know, he was well-educated. He had his, um, he had his MBA, um, you know, owned his own software company and whatnot. But his income would come, kind of come and go. He had he, he wasn't he wasn't impoverished. The house that he and, you know he owned a house on Baggett Street in in Donnybrook, which is kind of like living in I don't know um, Upper East Side in New York or living in Chevy Chase. Um, so this wasn't somebody who was without his own, you know, sense of personal power, but he was intimidated by me. And at one point, as our relationship began to fall apart, he said something to the effect of, um, well, you know, you've got your, you know, you know, you're moving up in your job and you have your own job. It was like he was angry at me because he felt like, well, he assumed that I wanted him to pay for my my dinner. And I was just like, no. I'm like, no, not at all. I said, we can go down to like that. Where would you get that impression? It was very strange because I went out of my way to try to, to, to you know, to, to, to try to, to be as even as possible. But that angered him even more. And it occurred to me, that he was angry at me because when I first started dealing with him, I was first, you know, I'm an assistant professor, and trying to make my way straight out of grad school. A couple of years down the line, you know, I began really getting, working on my, you know, on my professional life, started doing conferences, um, my dissertation, you know, I completed my dissertation while I was with him. And, I mean, he helped read, you know, he helped, helped me with it, as in, you know, he helped me with, 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 the, with the editing piece of it. But as soon as I began to hit the ground and on my feet and started moving up, getting my publications, getting my writing, that's when he got hostile. And it's all, and it, and it, it completely invaded whatever, progress we had made as as a couple. And it didn't really matter that he was in a in a status, his status, I guess, career wise, he was in a different place, much more um, you know, much more stable in some ways and maybe not so stable in others. You know, he it was a small still a small business, software company. But I think that because I was not grasping I was not a gold digger. I was not a. I was not begging him for anything. You know, I was not in a position of weakness. Maybe he thought that I was because I was starting out in my career. I don't know where he would think that, but you know, some men they just they they view women who view women in in that light. They project that. And he became intimidated by that. And it came out in so many different ways. Um, and unfortunately, a couple of times it did kind of come through in our sexual interactions with each other. 
And that's another thing that I think that women need to be very mindful of, that we make a mistake sometimes where we sometimes hold back in our careers, we hold back in our ambitions, we hold back in our creative life because we're afraid of intimidating men, um, you know, especially if they're having issues with their careers, um, or hold back because there's a fear that you might be making more money than him. Um, Because we have to fit into that tiny box that men keep creating for us that means that all we're allowed to do is be beautiful and cater to their needs and egos. Right. And here's the thing. I know a woman who actually likes being, you know, likes, quote, unquote, taking care of my man, so to speak. I like that. I actually do like that. And I don't believe in this thing of, you know, of, of basically, you know, being the, you know, um, I'm not a, I'm not a person who's a, I'm not a fan of being superwoman. I'm not a fan of being, you know, but I'm not a fan of being somebody who's just kind of, like, well, you get yours and I got mine, and that's it. Because I don't think that's healthy either. You know, I actually think that it really should be each partner needs to give 100%. You know, you support me, I support you. You know, mutual loyalty and that kind of thing. But I don't think that he really understood that. And that it really occurred to me that maybe there was something else that was going on, that culturally speaking there may have been some, some differences. And I had to learn something about um, about the ways in which, you know, some of the issues that, 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 that go on between Irishmen and Irish women, they are actually quite similar to ours. They're going through some of the same things. You know, you have Irish women who are beginning to really, you know, make a way for themselves. And, you know, you've got that, that issue that, that goes on between black women and black men, this thing of, well, you know, um, and I think that's what's Huey's problem. Huey is, a, he, Huey is intimidated by, by strong women. Huey has an issue with it. Steve Harvey definitely has an issue with it, and we know about Tyler Perry. Tyler Perry has no respect for educated black women. Um, and that's one of the things that bothers me about our culture and our in the way that we we kind of take these things in. And so when somebody presents us with a movie in which a, an African-American woman who is educated and who is sexually active gets punished for being sexually active, for being educated, we think that's a good thing because we think that, well, she's being uppity and she's being sluttish and she's being selfish and that she's not staying in her place. And... That's what I feel like I've been battling the last years. We are battling because it doesn't end with just you. Oh, God, no, please. I know. I see this with with a lot. I see this with some some of my students. I've had students. I've had students come to me with bruises on their faces. I've had, I've had a couple of students having to either drop my class or take incompletes. I had one student, her husband destroyed her computer. He wanted to be in school. We think, oh, it's, it's the 21st century. This isn't happening. Yes, it is. It's even worse than it was in the 20th century. And we need to 
We need we do need to talk about it. And all of that is related to the erotic. How can we embrace the erotic if we can't even, you know, live in our day to day lives without our well being 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 threatened? And so all of this I think about and because of that, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I explained this to you maybe about a good year ago when you were asking me about this. What's it like for me to not be in a relationship? And I had some. I had a, 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 a friend of mine explain this to me, male friend actually, and I actually like the way that he that he put it to me on this. He said, "I don't think that you are. Um, I don't think that you're abstinent." And he's like, "You're certainly not celibate." You know, you still masturbate. Of course I do. Um, but you're not even abstinent. You're just extremely selective. And I said, well, that, I, I said that that would make sense. You know, if you're abstinent, well, you know, you're just kind of, you know, you're, you're, actively, you're actively avoiding it, avoiding engaging in a situation for a particular, you know, reason for a short period of time. I would say that for the first couple of years, I was actively abstinent. I'm no longer actively abstinent. I'm just extremely selective. And some people might say, well, well, I think you're being too selective. And, of course, I would say, well, how could I be too selective? Right. How does it, well, you, you, you actively want me to lower my standards so that I'm not getting everything that I want and need in a relationship. That is a recipe for failure. But again, women aren't supposed to want anything in a relationship other than financial compensation and some dick. <laughs> and, and, and here's the thing. I don't want financial compensation. I have a job. They may, they may, treat, they may not treat me well all the time, but I have a job. I have a career. I have a career. I have a reputation that I have to uphold. Um and I and ask for quote unquote dick. If that's all that there is, well, you know, that's what good vibrations and all those other little shops that show, you know, vibrators, that's what they're for, right? That's not what it's about for me. And so, you know, and I and I'm I'm not a person who believes in just going out there to the club and, you know, just grab somebody. Um I've had people suggest to me, Oh, why don't you just go find yourself a young thing? Or the you know the suggestion of going to the crib and you go finding somebody to screw. I mean, it's just like those are all recipes for disaster. I'm not going to find some stranger on the beach to screw. I'm not going to deal with somebody who's young enough to be my child, which would disturb me um, beyond words, especially since I don't have children. I'm just not comfortable with that. Um, and I know that there are some women who are comfortable with that, and I don't judge them for that. But for me, that's not my choice. And so I think that I think that it is important that I do remain very choosy. I love that song by the Isley Brothers, Choosy Lover. Um and I love that song because it says something about well what is you know, what is it that we're, you know, engaging in? You know, we're not just having sex. 
right? You're making love. And you can't really make love if you're not very choosy, right? Correct. That's the point. You ain't talking about marriage or anything like that. I mean, you're not even going there with that. You know, what I'm really interested in is I am interested in um, I am interested in, in some sort of long term, as in longer than a couple of weeks, longer than a month, longer than a couple of months, right? I'm interested in a lover. But you can't really find a lover at a bar, at a club. can't find them on the street. Um, and so that's just something that has to, it has to evolve, and it has to evolve in an, in an organic fashion. It really can't be. I mean, you know, I'm. I'm but we know, also have to. I, we also have to stop putting these time limits on it. If you meet someone who you connect with, right. who is your intellectual equal, and who challenges right. you and arouses you, you have to leave yourself open and vulnerable to be in that position where you can say. All right, it's only been two weeks, but I'm aroused by you. You're aroused by me. There is a sexual chemistry, and right. you, you have to be exactly. able to claim your own desires and right. say, it's not wrong for me to be wet and aroused in this situation. It's not wrong for me to, I'm not a slut if I have sex with him before two months or three months or however long. Exactly. So there's no guarantee. There's no guarantee that the relationship will work out, but what you owe yourself is taking a chance. And that's what, and that's, and that's where my head is at is on on, on that. I mean, I'm I'm really not, um, I'm really not in, in interested in this. You know, there's so many different self-help books that purport to help women all to catch a man. You mean to catch him? This is the sugar that implies that he's property. You don't own a person. There are no guarantees. For me, it's like, okay, my hope would be to, you know, to connect with somebody um, that where it could be a relationship that has some sustainability. In other words, I'm not interested in one-night stands, not interested in friends with benefits. I I, you know, those kinds of situations, I think, You're I think interested kind of, in some Afro-eroticism. You want it to be exactly mental and you want it to be mental and spiritual and physical, carnal. You want there to be connections on political and social levels, intellectual. And levels. I am completely open to men from whatever background. And I am unlike some folks who seem to believe that somehow I don't know where people get this idea. Um, I've had people say. You're not interested in dating black, and I was like, "Who told you that?" I'm like, no, that's no. Like, that, come on. That is exactly the definition of Afroeroticism: is that you find love in yourself first and your identity yes. as a person of African descent, and you can be comfortable loving anyone. Exactly, and being open to that, and not being. Um, not not being so shut down, closed down, limited, um, but you can't really see the beauty in a, in another person, and not really looking for a particular look or a type, you know, not really looking at that. 
um, for me, it's 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 it really is it's it's some it's something else. And you know, I've had people ask, well, "What's your type?" Yeah, well, I mean, it depends. You know, some days it might actually be Obama. He's actually he's actually kind of fine, but he's already taken. So we'll, <laughs> we'll move on from that. <laughs> my my type is brilliant. I love a man who's a genius. I love a man. Yes who has equal parts creative and intellectual abilities. You know, beyond that, I can't say that I have a type. I like someone who gets me. I like someone who's quick-witted. I like someone who's sharp. I like someone who's well-read. Um, you know, that's my type. Can I say, yes. you know, you know, I want him to be this height or this weight or this, you know, da-da-da-da-da? No, but I can say, you know, intellectually I want to be challenged, to grow, to continue right. to learn more. That's my type. Right. And somebody who somebody who can who can actually um acknowledge the fact that um that you know that women do have a sexuality um and can embrace it and is comfortable with it. Um who can and does view sex as an expression of love. Right? Um, which is extremely important. I guess you know, for some people, you know, I guess it's just you know, it's 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 for some people. I guess they view sex as a as sort of a function. And I feel like sometimes when I've had people say, "Well, well, you need to cut with knock out of you," make it sound like I need to go and take a shower, you know, or go to the lab or something, I was just like, whoa. You know, that's not, to me, that's not that's not sexy. That's not hot. That's not going to get me turned on. That's not going to get me off, right? You know, poetry gets me off, right? Poetry can get me off. Poetry being read to me while, you know, correcting me, even better. Um, you know, that kind of thing. You know, appealing to my intellect, but by appealing to my intellect, it doesn't mean that you're reading a dictionary. Uh, appealing to my intellect means that you have an understanding of the erotic in language. I think it's Being really able time to... for, for women of all races, not only women of African descent, but certainly us uh, as well, to be able to say that we want poetry. We want to be held. We want foreplay. We want to snuggle and cuddle. And we we like those things. We're turned on by those things. And it's not wrong to want those things. That we want, you know, some of us don't want to be slapped and punched and kicked and spit on and called names during sex. And I think it's time, past time, for women to understand that you know, it's okay for us to say we want tenderness and softness and gentleness and don't rub so hard and don't poke so hard and don't bite. Exactly. You know, yeah. you know exactly. Softly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. 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 And, and, and to be able to, you know, I don't know, I'm, you know, and I'm, a, I'm a big sucker for, for roses, I'm a big sucker for flowers. Um, and, you know, I like that. You know, I am just as, you know, I'm just as turned on by going 
um, and and sitting in on you know you know on a on a lecture or sitting in on a um, on a poetry reading or one time I think I um, my ex and I we had, you know we actually had some pretty good times I think one one time we went to the French Embassy and sat in on a lecture on quantum physics. This is something that I found. I am not a physicist. I'm not a scientist. I have an interest in probabilities, and I have an interest in black holes. I have an interest in um, multiple, um, you know, dimensions and realities and whatnot. And so I had a fascination with it. And so we attended the lecture and, you know, and, and enjoyed the um, enjoyed the reception afterwards and went home and fucked like bunnies. <laughs> it was a turn on. It was definitely a turn on. That's what I'm into. That's what I get turned on by. You know, I and and, and that's it's just not easy to find. Not impossible, but it's not easy to find. And so, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, um, I've had people ask, well, does, does it have to be part of BDSM? No, absolutely not. I actually find that, I actually find that, in, in my opinion, I think that there are there are a lot of a lot of folks out there who are kinky and don't know it. Or they're kinky, but they're not really interested in, you know, saying, oh, I'm part of the leather community or leather continuum. There's a lot of folks who are into um, all kinds of, interesting and fascinating activities, has their own fetishes and and, and express them and in in the privacy of their own home and have absolutely no interest in declaring any one particular identity. Um that kink is just one way of kind of expressing, you know, the sexual continuum. And so, no, I don't think, I, I think that it's, it really is about attitude. I think it really is about openness. I think it really is about um, being comfortable enough with one's body um, to appreciate beauty um, and not necessarily looking for the, you know, the so-called you know, con- con- conventional or or expecting the conventional in terms of expressing um, sexuality. And so I think that we, um, as women, um, I don't know, I guess we, we need to, we need to do something about um, expressing these things a bit more. You're doing so much work in making that happen. Um, but ideally, I would like us to drown out some of those other men and women who waste our time with crap like Fifty Shades of Grey, which oh, I God, view yes. what is probably one of the worst pieces of so-called erotic fiction I've ever seen. I'm like, okay, if this was fan fiction for Twilight, it should have stayed fan fiction. I have no idea. I, I actually spent that $9.99 that I wish I could get my money back for. Uh, I read it and I was like, I was like, this is, this is such crap. I'm like, this is, 
I'm like, there's nothing erotic in this. Nothing erotic. There's nothing in that. I'm just, and I'm listening. It, it is about the ultimate objectification of women, of women who want to be objectified and who are, who want to be one-dimensional. I mean, the whole thing was just, uh, I mean, so shallow. She wasn't even a fully developed character. She was just an object. Pretty much. And to be honest, he wasn't really developed either. These so-called yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah, and so it was. I'm looking at this. I'm like, um, no. Look <laughs> like, I'm like, this is basically Harlequin romance with whips and restraints. That's all this is. That's all it is. And so, you know, and I and I'm, I'm aware of the fact that there, you know, there's some women who are get get, get turned on by it. Oh, it's so romantic. It's so beautiful. And I'm like, what's so beautiful about it? What's so hot about it? It's like, and it's, and it's obvious to me that this, this, these are people who, who really are not aware of their own sexuality, number one. Number two, don't know anything about BDSM. Number three, don't know anything or are completely clueless about rape culture, right? right. Don't know it's- what it is that they are... Uh, that they think is hot. But when you ask them, well, what is hot about it, they can't answer it because they're not in touch. Because not they're a sexually, sexually immature culture breeds that sort of, um, where we are in a society where just the word dick and pussy gets people aroused, just, you know, and that's something that simplistic. Even an academic discussion of, of sex is, you know, uh, it's so taboo to people. Their sexuality is so compartmentalized that anything becomes sexual to them. If you hide that part of your identity, if you don't allow it freedom and expression, if you don't make it a place for it to be healthy in your life, you are going to be aroused by Fifty Shades of Grey because you're not going to talk about sex in an open, healthy way, in an open manner to understand exactly how many flaws there are with Anastasia and Christian's characters in that book. Right, right, right. right. Not gonna, not gonna be able to do that um, because you, you, you don't really, <laughs> you don't really see it. Um, I, and I can't tell you how many people called me when that book came out, and they said, Scotty. You know, it was okay and everything, but your writing is so much better. Your stories are so much better. And, you know, I'm flattered and honored that people say that, but I really do work very hard to make my my characters autonomous and to make their their choices informed. And I work very diligently in, in having my characters be relatable to not only something that you connect with culturally, not just the music that they listen to or something of that nature, but their fears and insecurities are our fears and insecurities. And they their challenges are equal to every challenge that I've ever faced or every black woman has ever faced or a black woman who's choosing to date interracially. And I make sure that we have those discussions in my stories, uh, you know, in my personalized and customized stories that I have an option for people to come to my website and and 
get a story that's commissioned for them, about them, with details about mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And right, in that, right. I'm still trying to get people to get the message that it is about communication. It is about meditation and knowing yourself and, and being yes. comfortable in your skin and your sensuality. It is. It is. And and, and it really, <laughs> but in order to do that, you have to be able to, you know, you have to imagine yourself being something um, other than what's been thrown at you. I get the sense that a lot of folks who are reading Fifty Shades of Grey um, tend to view this particular work as something that they can use as a way of escaping from themselves, from their own sexuality, from their own lack of a sexuality as opposed to embracing it, um, that it's actually much more difficult to view um, the men or women in their lives. Because I'm not assuming that everybody who's reading this is heterosexual, even though it seems to really push up on that heteronormative bullshit. Um, that for some people, it's a lot easier to fantasize about somebody they idealized, whether it be a fictional character, whether it be a celebrity, rather than actually dealing with the hand that they've dealt themselves. I'm not even saying the hand that's been dealt them, but the hand that they have dealt to themselves, the choices that we make, right? And so it's a lot harder to deal with people as we really, how we really look, how we really sound, how we really smell, how we really taste, right? It's a lot easier to think of the fantasy. Um, and that's something that I'm coming to, to, to recognize. You know I'm right in doing this, doing this book, um, this other book besides Afrofuturism. And one of the things that I'm discovering is that I guess for some for, for many people, I think that it really, it's a lot easier to think, to idealize somebody than to deal with the reality. That reality is so much different, so much more hardcore, but so much more in your face than that idealization. So much so that even even with the confrontation of reality. For some people, they have to kind of fall back on the fantasy, which makes me kind of wonder. I'm just like, okay, you got these women reading these books, going to these movies, um, and you know, and and living in this fantasy world. Are they imagining these these idealized characters when they're with their men? You know, I'm aware of the fact that there are some men, there are a lot of guys actually who, who pretty much do that. When they're um when they're getting their dick sucked, when they're fucking their women, they're not really thinking about who they're with, they're thinking about Beyonce or whoever comes to their mind. But I think it's a lot harder for women to actually admit that they're doing the same thing. And I'm wondering about the damage that that does 
to our ability to be able to be intimate with each other. Well, you have to also add into that the damage that pornography has. Um, we've gone from when I was a young, uh, sexually adult, uh, developing adult, um, we didn't see porn every single solitary day. Um, and those that did saw the same image, the same magazine, the same women, um, you know, the same, it was dog-eared, the pages that we read from Joy of Sex and Our Secret Gardens. But now, uh, with the Internet, you have access to millions of images at your fingertips a day. And mm-hmm. that sort of addiction to where you no longer are aroused by just seeing, you know, plain old vanilla sex. You need to push your envelope more and more and more. It has to be more extreme. It has to be more dangerous. You have to see one more picture. You have to get closer to that right. perfect nut. It, you know, and that sort of heroin-like addiction. Yeah. And nine times out of ten, it's not just. It's really. It's not even. I mean, the the kind of pornography that, um, which that that's being, it's kind of being pushed up. Is the uh, violent gonzo type of pornography, right? Um, the violent images. Um, the everything is becoming more and more objectifying women, hurting women, degrading women, dominating women. Uh, we we got to address that. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And that's you know, and it's not. And we're and, and by saying that, I mean we're not talking. We're not necessarily talking about, you know, within, you know, within the leather community that, you know, you know, power exchange. What we're really talking about is the complete objectification, dehumanization to the point where women are not even seen as complete figures, so to speak, or complete bodies where women are basically just kind of cut into pieces in a sort of sociopathic manner where you're just seen as three holes, right? Or mm-hmm. seen as just a pair of breasts. Um, a receptacle know, for sperm. Yeah. Pretty Whereas much. we don't even know anymore that that the act of of ejaculating inside of a woman is bonding. We don't even recognize or acknowledge that that's such an intimate act that it does cause you to, quote, unquote, catch feelings, as they say these days. But we've become so desensitized to it because of porn, we think that it, it means nothing. And we don't understand, you know, why all of a sudden women are, um, you know, becoming emotionally involved. And, and men don't even understand their own emotional connection to people once they do that. Um, but yet we're so willing to deny it. We're so willing to put all of that aside because it, it is really about slapping and choking and spitting and all of these other sorts of behaviors. Now that's supposed to be, you know, erotic for women. They want they want to be brutally pounded and all these other things. Right, right, right. So that's just kind of, oh. You know, it just it it almost reminds me of this uh, short story that I actually brought up on on Twitter called the Screwfly Solution. Um, this was a short story written um, back in 1977. 
And the basic premise is that you have um, some sort of illness that basically blankets the entire globe. Um, you have this group of scientists, you know, they're studying screw flies and basically attempting to program them to 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 to, uh, to to basically destroy each other by not procreating or kind of turning off the procreation and turning on sort of the self-destruct. So basically the premise is, is that you have these aliens who decide to do that to humanity. And so what they do is they turn on the destructive measure in men. And so their sexual arousal, instead of being sexually aroused by women, instead of being, instead of wanting to connect with women, the only thing they want to do is destroy, kill, slaughter in the most horrific fashion. And so soon it's not just women who are being destroyed, it's also children, it's also young men um, who are being destroyed. And the funny thing about it, the way that this, this story goes is that because the structures were already there, the misogyny was already embedded in many of the cultures, it just made it easier um, for the destruction to happen. And this alien presence decides to do this because it was the easiest way of cleansing the planet so that they could just colonize it. And so it's not something, and I'm, you know, and I, I actually do teach this story, and some of the students do it. Well, how is this possible? I'm like, well, what structures do you have in place? And so they're always kind of shocked when they read this. And, you know, the, the whole point is, is that do you really need to have an alien invasion for us to destroy each other? No. Do you need aliens to tell um, men how to destroy women, destroy their own family? Um, destroy um, themselves. No, not at all, because we already have this in place. I view misogyny as a form of genocide. Mm. And that if we are not careful, we will destroy this planet. We will destroy ourselves. That there will be nothing left. If your instinct is to destroy the mother of your children, the mother of your nation, you are killing yourself. You're destroying yourself. And so that's why it's important that misogyny um, be stamped out. It's important and that, that is why it out. is important for us to have to continue to have you be our voice in fighting for our Afrofuturism. How about oh, that? Thank you, sweetheart. I guess we are coming upon that uh, coming upon that time, aren't we? Yes, we it are. It has been two hours, two hours, two hours. I am so glad, first and foremost, that you were able to get back and that you have power. Um, Talk about the power of, you know, Hurricane. You know, when we have to thank Oya for doing what she needed to do to push out Saving whatever my house. needed to be pushed out. Yeah, hmm. I um I live on the water on the Chesapeake Bay, 
less than a quarter of a mile away, and it's uh, my right. house could have easily been underwater. So we are wow. thankful that um, there was not even any damage. So uh, the lights didn't go out for very long. They were out for about 24 hours, maybe a little bit more. But uh, right. everything's back and everyone's safe. Um, you know, my heart and my prayers go out to everyone who's still without uh, electricity and those who yes. lost property and lives. So Yes, yes, yes. And, and I, I want to we... urge everyone to go out and vote, vote, vote. Please, do, please do vote, please vote. And 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 I'm going to tell you right now, if you know, we need to do everything that we can to make sure that misogyny does not take hold in this country or take any more hold than it already has. Please vote for Obama. Please don't put uh, put that that, that crazy uh, crazy man Rob in because he <laughs> and his his whole band of misogynists, rape apologists. Keep them far away from the White House. We really don't need that. In, exactly. In, you know, please, we really don't need to have that. I do yeah, want to invite just... everyone to check out afroerotic.com if they do want to read some erotic stories that do show people of color in Iraq an intelligent, mature, emotionally healthy light. And I please. want to thank you also for inviting me back. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you and thank you for coming coming on. I think this is a wonderful way of, you know, going into the next stage and for those of you all who are listening, happy Samhain, happy All Hallows Day. Um, you know, and let's and you know, you know, thank you um thank you ancestors for pulling us through another cycle, another year as we're going into another cycle, another year, um, and, you know, this radio show keeps getting better and better and better. Um, we will have more shows. Um, I'm still lining them up. If anyone who's listening, if you're interested in coming on my show, by the way, I am open to um, having a conversation with you about being on my show um, and so there are a couple of ways that you could get in contact with me. Um, you could reach me um, by getting on Twitter, B-R-T-U-R-P-I-N, as in Dr. Turpin. You know, drop a you know drop a uh, a post to me there. Um, you could also email me Afrofuturistscholar at gmail dot com. Um, Plus, I am. I do have an email that I do use on occasion, and I've decided I'm going to go ahead and give this out this evening. Dr. Dot at Matt dot com, and so you can reach me there as well. Send an email to me if you're interested in being on my show, or if you have comments about um, tonight's show and whatnot, um, please do that. Um, please do go to Afroerotic dot com. Um, also, I have my blog, Afrofuturism um, Afrofuturism Scholar, Um You can find a link on Blog Talk Radio um, to all of my blogs and all of my, um, you know, information. I'm also on LinkedIn. And so if you're interested in that, if you're interested in my publications, you can 
check that out. Please do click follow, follow me, follow my radio show, and don't forget to subscribe to it on iTunes. And it's real easy. Go on to iTunes, click on podcast, do a search on on podcast, or you can do a search at the edge. And when it pops up, click on podcast, you'll see my lovely face and hit subscribe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So thanks, guys, for hanging in there, and thank you for listening tonight. Thank you, Scotty. Have a wonderful, blessed day, everyone. I love you, Queen. Peace and blessings, everyone. Peace and blessings. Good night.